food is a very powerful tool for social social change, for storytelling, for community building. Um, and storytelling really um, it humanizes the other. Okay, um, and when you use food to um, to tell a story, um, you're sharing who you are, you know, where you come from, how you live, uh, what you believe, um, both individually, but also collectively as a community. Welcome to the Integrative Ideas and Nutrition Podcast. This podcast is produced by the Committee of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Access through the Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine, DIPM, practice group with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Join us to explore a range of whole food therapies and mind-body modalities within different settings and cultures, and to celebrate the ways that our diversity in practice and perspective makes us stronger. Please keep in mind that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Unless specifically stated otherwise, DIPM does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, service, or organization presented or mentioned. My name is Sarah Thompson Fajera, registered dietitian, integrative and functional nutrition certified practitioner, and your host for this podcast. Born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, Sumeya is a registered dietitian and the co-founder and former program director of Sanctuary Kitchen, a Connecticut program that partners with refugee and immigrant chefs to build economic opportunity and authentic connections through food. Started as her passion project, Sanctuary Kitchen is the synthesis of her upbringing as a child of immigrants and community activists, work in social justice, and passion for food and nutrition. Sumeya holds a BS in community nutrition from the University of California at Davis and an MS in clinical and counseling nutrition from Bastyr University. For over 20 years, she has worked in various settings, including public health programs, community education, research, and private practice. She has consulted, authored, and presented on all aspects of nutrition, including natural health and wellness, weight management, chronic disease management, food allergy and sensitivity, maternal and child health, school nutrition, and cultural competency. In addition to her passion for food and nutrition, Samaya enjoys baking, reading, hiking, traveling, and photography. So welcome, Samaya, and thank you for being here with us. It's my yes. pleasure. Thank you for having we me. We have so much to talk about. Um, the title of this podcast is Celebrating Diverse Culinary Traditions Through Shared Meals and Storytelling, a topic that you know a lot about through your own lived experience. So um, I'd love to kick off by asking you just really broadly, um, how has your exposure to a diversity of cultural practices throughout your life and career, how has it shaped you as a professional? 
Yeah. Um, so I'm the daughter of uh, Indian immigrants. Uh, my parents came here in the late 60s and um, eventually settled in the Bay Area in California, which is very diverse. Um, so I had a very multicultural upbringing, um, not just within my own family, but in the community that my parents raised uh, me and my siblings in. So uh, my parents, friends, and our like community was made up of other Indians and Pakistanis, um, people from Egypt, Syria, Libya. Uh, my neighbors um, were Chinese, they were American. Um, we had friends who were Bosnian. So, you know, I grew up with friends and uncles and aunties from all of these different countries and I grew up eating their food and um, in their cultural traditions, um, being exposed to them, celebrating with them. Um, and so when I studied nutrition formally um, in my undergrad, um, you know, at that time, <laughs> like 20 years ago, uh, di the dietetics field was predominantly shaped by the food guide pyramid. And, and that was what um, was taught as a healthy diet. And we all know how flawed that is and um, how limited the, the data behind it is. Um, and it's, it, it was, you know, it's influenced by a big corporation and it has this ideal that Western or European diets is what is considered healthy. Um, but as I knew from my own experience, you know, eating all these amazing foods that, you know, seemed very good for me inherently. Um, and then also just in my studies, learning about other food cultures and, um, and being exposed to groups like Old Ways um, where they were really sharing what other traditions ate um, and what a, when you study what a, a good diet looks like, you know, we're looking at a lot of whole grains and fruits and vegetables and um, legumes and all of these components are huge components of traditional diets from all over the world. Um, so, you know, as I was practicing nutrition, um, it just made more sense to me to encourage people to think about what, you know, what their grandparents ate um, and how they could incorporate those practices back into their diets if they had left, if they had left them. Um, and we know now that, you know, there is data and science to support um, how one's heritage and cultural traditions um, can be inherently wholesome and how following that um, can be um, healthful mm -hmm. for, for an individual. Um, so we know there is no one way to eat well um, and it's different for each person. Um, so, you know, when you think about eating, you know, plant-based diet or eating more whole grains and, um, more vegetables, um, it's not, you don't have to look far if you do come from a tradition where these are normally present. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Old Ways and Old Ways is that organization that has gone to great lengths to really right. um, help to define and describe some of the traditions that have been just held onto, developed over years. 
with a lot of these right. more traditional eating patterns and starting to allow that, some of that data to come together, right? Yeah, I mean, they were the first, mm -hmm. um, even you know, 15, 20 years ago, to take the, the food guide pyramid and translate them into mm -hmm. other cultural, using, you know, incorporate other cultural mm -hmm. foods and not just, you know, the typical, like, what we had, um, you know, what we were studying and what mm -hmm. we were supposed to teach yeah, yeah. Our, to our patients. So you had this awareness just coming into the beginning of your career um, as, a, as a nutrition professional. Tell us a bit about how that journey then led you to the sanctuary kitchen. Can you talk a little bit about your recent history there? Sure. So Sanctuary Kitchen is a, a program of a New, ha New Haven nonprofit called City Seed. Um, and City Seed's been around in, in New Haven for over 15 years, and they focused on um, bring, bringing healthy, sustainable food practices to the city of New Haven, where there was like large food desert. Um, and they started that with running all the New Haven farmers market, and so uh, encouraging the community to, eat, to support local farmers, um, bridging the gap between Connecticut farmers and New Haven residents. Um, so. Back in 2016, they were also incorporating um, cooking education. So featuring local chefs, um, educators, um, and teaching people how to um, eat a variety of types of foods, healthy food, traditional cuisines. You know, if somebody was good at, uh, you know, learning how to, uh, teaching how to make pasta or, you know, all kinds of things. So they made this beautiful teaching kitchen. Um, and I was, um, doing cooking education um, through UConn, through their uh, Center of Health, um, Center for Population Health, as a community nutritionist and a nutrition educator. So we were, I was going around the state and teaching people how to cook and how to eat well and doing demos um, uh, using foods it, that were familiar to the communities I was working with. Um, and this but was back in 2016, which was also the height of uh, refugee resettlement in New Haven and um, prior to the following election. Um, so, you know, there was a large um, community of newly resettled Syrians and Afghans, um, people from Sudan and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And, um, you know, growing up, in a very like, like I said, a you know diverse community here in California, um, you know I just felt like th there needed to be some type of way to um, not only showcase the newly resettled refugees um, in the community and um, help them get connected to networks and uh, develop relationships and and build community. Um, but also a way to like help them earn an income, uh, maybe start a food business. Um, so, you know, and this was something that was happening in other parts of the country. Um, programs like that, that were doing that were popping up in Europe and in Canada and even Australia where there were large communities of refugees. Um, so it, it really just, it was just something I was interested in doing and I felt like I had the skill sets and experience to do something um, 
So I connected with City Seed and I connected with the, the local resettlement agency called Iris and, you know, proposed this idea, like, what can we do to um, use food um, to um, help build community for these refugees, um, to help people understand their culture, learn about them. Um, there was a lot of like anti-immigrant, a lot of anti-refugee rhetoric going on in the media, um, a lot of fear mongering. Um, and so, you know, a bunch of people were on board. Some people had similar ideas. We got together and um, Sanctuary Kitchen was born as a program of City Seed um, with the idea that we would partner with newly resettled refugees, and then we expanded later to immigrants as well, to help uh, build economic opportunity for them, as well as connections, authentic connections in the community uh, using food. Mm -hmm. um, so we did that um, through a couple different ways. Um, we started running um, or facilitating refugee and immigrant-led culinary events, like cooking classes and dinners, uh, supper, we started a supper club and other cultural events with um, other organizations and partners. Um, and then we also started a social enterprise that featured authentic multicultural dishes and food products um, for the refugee woman, uh, I mean, not for, by, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, by the refugee and immigrant woman that we hired. Um, so this provided actual regular employment and an opportunity for professional development and culinary training um, for these rising chefs and food entrepreneurs. So that's a little bit about, about the programming and just hearing you describe that process. It sounds like, you know, this all started with just your own perspective and awareness. This seed was planted in your mind as you were observing some of the social dynamics at play and you just recognize for yourself, I could step in here. I could really do something here. And the community just started to come around you. And you know, by you stepping forward and just being willing to be the first one to verbalize, I think this is possible. And others kind of, it sounds like, came out of the woodwork and, and this, um, this initiative was born. Yeah, it was just a lot of... Um a lot of things just kind of yeah. aligned at the same yeah. time. So, um, you know, I was raised um, with, you know, with a sense of um, service mm -hmm. and um, giving back to the community and um, also trying to have an impact, whether small or big, um, on issues around me that were happening and in any way that I could. And so, um, this was something that I felt like I could contribute. And I, you know, I had intended just to do it as a volunteer, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a passion project. Um, and it eventually became a full-time job and probably the best job anybody could mm -hmm. ever ask for. Wow. Um, and, you know, I was able to use my background in food and in, um, you know, the cultural awareness that I had in upbringing, um, and then like in terms of education like how to how to teach a cook like you know helping women teach a cooking class because it's one thing to cook all of them are amazing cooks um that was not an area they needed help in but how to 
uh, present it, you know, how to teach it, how to write a recipe, how to scale and so forth. So, and then, and then also facilitating um, how to share their, their story uh, with, through these mm -hmm. means. As you worked with all different types of people in this initiative, I'm sure you saw a lot of cultural knowledge being shared and expanded. Um, can you give us just a couple of examples of what that, what that looks like at Sanctuary Kitchen? Cultural knowledge, building and expanding through the preparation and sharing of meals. Yeah, so, um, you know, the food and the cultural practices um, the chef stories, um, their recipes, you know, they all start as like oral history, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's something that they, they talk to each other about, they talk to others about. Um, but by participating with Sanctuary Kitchen, um, either through selling of their food or teaching a class or sharing a meal, um, you know, we were able to help them, you know, document and um, and, and in a way preserve that this cultural knowledge um, and also provide a medium for them to share it with others who might not be familiar. Um, and so um, whether it was, you know, bringing interpreters and translators um, for them to be able to, you know, share their story in the way that they wanted to present it, um, whether, or if it was a way to, you know, write down their recipes, um, you know, we all, uh, writing recipes is a challenge for a lot of people. And, you know, most even professional chefs, um, or our, if we think about our, our moms or our grandmothers who, you know, were amazing cooks, um, they didn't write down recipes. They didn't measure, um, you know, they just, just kind of said a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, yeah. And, um, but in order to share it uh, or for someone new who's not familiar to replicate it, you know, you need a recipe and you need measurements. So we, you know, we help the chefs with that. Um, and then, you know, if I think about also, um, you know, for the children of, you know, um, refugees and immigrants um, who are now, you know, considered, you know, diaspora communities, um, you know, who may ne never be able to return to their homelands or who, um, if they end up being born here, will not have necessarily that connection, right, to their parents' homeland. Um, and so by having the, by like documenting these stories and these recipes and this cultural knowledge, it's a way for, you know, the, the children to have that, that connection um, to their homeland as well. Um, and, you know, more often than not, you know, I'm a prime example um, that, you know, it wasn't until I was an adult that I really appreciated the traditions and the stories of my parents and my grandparents. Um, and, you know, more often than not, it ended up, you know, being too late to, to try to retrieve some of it, you know, because, you know, people pass mm -hmm. or things get lost and memories, you know, fade. Um, so I hope that the work that we do through Sanctuary Kitchen is, is one way to, um, you know, build that cultural knowledge mm -hmm. to, to preserve it mm -hmm. and then to share it. Um, and, you know, I think about, you know, some of the events that we led, um, you know, one, um, there's a, we had some women from Sudan and, um, 
the practice of using incense is is very prevalent. Um, and not just for, you know, making your home fragrant or your, you know, they used it as like to perfume themselves as well. Um, it's a very prevalent practice in women's spaces and female spaces. Um, but they also used it in their food and in their cooking. And it's something that, um, you know, some of those women like would bring, they brought back little bits of that incense and um, learn to try to prepare it here, um, you know, from scratch. Um, and they would lead these beautiful tea ceremonies where they would smoke the tea um, and the teacups when they prepare it. And it's just like, you know, it just, it was a beautiful thing to witness, um, to taste, to smell. I mean, it was such an experiential mm -hmm. um, experience on so many levels. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something that by, by having the opportunity to share it outside their home, it's um, in a way it's, it's, um, how do I say it? Like, it's opening, you know, the doors really to, um, for other people to experience this kind of like intimate, very special um, practice um, that they wouldn't have otherwise even known mm -hmm. about, right? Um, so, yeah, I just, it's, uh, it's really beautiful to mm -hmm. witness um, and, and, and see. Mm -hmm. And all that in creation of community too at the same time. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about your perspective about the role of storytelling? Um, I'm sure you have a lot to say about this, about food and meals within diverse cultural traditions. As you think about some of the stories you've heard shared over the tables and some of these events over these dishes. Why is that so important? Yeah, I mean, food um, food is a very powerful tool for social, social change, for storytelling, for community building. Um, and storytelling really, um, it humanizes the other, okay? Um, and when you use food to, um, to tell a story, um, you're sharing who you are, you know, where you come from, how you live, uh, what you believe, um, both individually, but also collectively as a community. Um, and so, you know, we witness time and time again that when people share a meal and they share personal stories, it's, it's a gesture of welcome, acceptance. Um, it's a very when you eat together um, and have those conversations, it's, it's very intimate. Um, and, but it's, and it's also simple. There's like a simplicity to it um, that really allows for genuine connections and exchanges to happen. You know, the barriers kind of fall down. Um, and so, you know, food is a very human need, right? Um, but it's also tied to um, you know, it's tied to people's journeys, their stories, their histories. Um, and all of that is shared when the chefs like are teaching a cooking class or when they're cooking together, um, when they're eating together, they're sharing these stories. Um, and 
and they're learning about each other. Um, and there's in, in that learning, it's learning about each other's stories of family, of love, of loss, um, celebration, um, and how food, you know, brought comfort um, or brought celebration or joy to those, um, those times. Um, you know, especially now, like, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up, we have the, the winter holidays. Um, you know, this was especially true, like around, around holidays, um, you know, you're sharing what your family does for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for Hanukkah, for Eid. Um, and there is that, that similarity, right? That commonality that as humans, we, we share. Um, and, you know, it became a regular occurrence for Sanctuary Kitchen chefs to um, join a family at their Thanksgiving table and, and bring their own holiday traditions. Um, or we would share traditional meals at, you know, a large holiday mm-hmm. event in New Haven. Um, and, you know, we're talking about what, you know, it, like I said, it just, when we share those commonalities, it's, it, it humanizes the other. It really, you're able to go beyond the headlines that you hear in the news and see that the person across from you is just like you. You know, they want safety and security. They want their family, their children to grow up in a safe place. They want their children to have a good education. They want to be financially stable, you know. Um, and we don't get that from learning about the other um, in the news mm-hmm. because it's always just sensationalized there's a lot of stereotypes things are left out or out of context but you know sitting together and eating the same meal and and talking about our families you realize like you know it's all of that extra stuff that we hear all the noise is just not the case and um there's more even if don't speak the same language we still share those commonalities and it comes, it comes through when you're, you're eating mm-hmm. together. So many other ways we communicate other than just words. Right. Yeah. Right. Food even as a vehicle for that. Right. Are there um, just maybe, maybe one or two stories that come to mind for you that have just really stayed with you that you've heard during some of those events that you've witnessed? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so mm-hmm. many, um, and to even pinpoint one is is mm-hmm. hard. But um, I mean, there's so many instances of you know um, people come, you know, people come attending an event, um, you know, whether it's a cooking class or a dinner, and um, learning, you know, about the chef and their families and. Um, exchanging information and, you know, finding out that they have children the same age and, um, you know, the, the participants end up facilitating um, connections for the, you know, the newer families to like go to certain schools or um, get into, you know, certain extracurricular activities and, and so forth. But I think and then you and then you see that those relationships continue outside of that event, which is really nice to see. And you know, 
um, that friendships are made and, um, you know, that the children are getting together um, and, and not just in terms of the participants, but like even the sanctuary kitchen chefs themselves, um, you know, we have women from, you know, five to 10 different, they're from different countries and they're cooking together in our mm-hmm. kitchen and they're learning about each other and, um, and something like that would never have happened in their home countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like one of my favorite moments is um, all of the chefs, we had um, two Syrian women um, and a woman from Afghanistan a woman from Sudan, um, a woman from Iraq, and they were all sitting around the table together and they were all rolling grape leaves mm-hmm. um, and using a Syrian recipe. Um, and they're just, it was just, you know, again, it's like something that you would, they would never have done yeah. in their home countries, but they were all sitting at the table and just rolling out like hundreds and hundreds of grape leaves and, um, talking and chatting and laughing and you know and they um you know one of the things that they always say that they've gotten out of sanctuary kitchen not in, beyond employment is that they have developed a family and um that when they come to our kitchen it's it's a place that they feel comfort and safety mm-hmm. and uh, friendships and it's a you know a feeling of like, um, like they call each other like their sisters. And so they've all like become like best friends with each other. And um, to me, that's, you know, the whole purpose mm-hmm. <laughs> of Sanctuary Kitchen is, is, for, is for these women to build these relationships um, with each other, with the larger community, mm-hmm. uh, and then have a venue for them to, um, you know, share their stories of, you know, they all have, um, they all have different stories, but they all have left their homes, mm-hmm. right? So they, they share that commonality and, and the hardships that they have dealt with and, um, and they support each other to, to rally and to, um, and, you know, they, they're super, they're so resilient mm-hmm. and um, they all come from traditions of, hospitality and generosity and uh, and it shows and they share it and even from despite coming from you know from having little um, because they had to leave everything um, and all the hardship and the trauma that they they experienced um, they still like welcome you with open arms and a plate of food Mm -hmm. and um, you know and they they genuinely want to know how you are um and um and it doesn't matter if they've only known you for a minute um so I feel like when you walk into that you know to me it's like this is this is what Sanctuary Kitchen is about You've spoken a bit about the value of um, passing down traditions and recording recipes and uh, implications for family, right, and for children. Could you speak a bit to the nutritional and community ramifications when there is a loss of cultural traditions or even just this um, 
acculturation to a Western way of eating, what are some of the consequences and ramifications there? Yeah, um, you know, we know now that, um, you know, traditional diets, uh, which are, you know, I guess you can define them as like ways of eating inspired by uh, culinary histories of cuisines around the world. Um, they're inherently wholesome and often plant-based. They celebrate, um, you know, what's in season, what's local, um, what's regional, um, and, and they bring pleasure and joy, you know, to the table. Um, and often with assimilation, um, the loss of cultural practices and the adoption of like the standard American diet really, you know, it often leads to increase in chronic disease, um, heart disease, diabetes. Um, we see that here in, in the United States. Um, where when immigrants adopt a more Western and American diet. Um, but we also see it in other countries where um, lifestyle and dietary practices have changed as more Western um, influences and businesses have gone abroad, um, especially with the prevalence of wealth. Um, so it, it, it's become a, um, um, you know, they say like obesity and um, in America, you know, obesity, heart disease, it, it's, it's a, more prevalent, right? In, um, in communities of color um, in socioeconomically depressed communities. In other countries, it's a problem amongst the upper class and the wealthy because they have access to American foods and, uh, you know, certain types of foods that are more expensive um but you know unfortunately it's become something to aspire to um to have you know fast food companies come in and and to be able to eat those fast food um you know foods from fast food franchises um but it's had horrible ramifications on health both for individuals um but also for the planet um, so it's, it's something that, um, you know, again, encouraging individuals to think about maybe not even what your parents ate, but what your grandparents ate, um, because now, because of the adopt adoption of more Western practices, you know, that's, it's being lost those, you know, traditional diets and the traditional cuisines, not only the way people are eating has, has changed, but also the way food is, is grown and, and raised. Um, so moving away from the traditional agricultural practices has also affected um, nutritional quality of foods grown, of the, how the animals are raised. Um, it's decreased the biodiversity of foods. Um, and then of course the effects on climate change and, and you know, it's the ripple effect of, of that as well. So, you know, how we eat, it doesn't, and exists in a vacuum. You know, they're all related to each other. Um, and what we <laughs> practice here in America affects what is happening in, you know, the countries, especially as we export or, or we're importing all these foods um, from other countries. And often even things like, you know, what we, you know, you know, we hear about 
you know, when things become trendy here, um, like, you know, quinoa is a great example of that. You know, it's a whole grain. It's one of the best, you know, nutritionally sound um, foods, superfoods to eat. Um, but because we import it um, from South America, um, the communities, indigenous communities who relied on quinoa for their diets are no longer to, able to afford it and to eat it. And, and you know, what, what does that leave them? So, you know, um, on one hand, it's, you know, it's really important to, you know, honor traditional diets um, and, and benefit from them, you know, because of, um, you know, how wholesome they can be or how nutritious they can be. But we also have to think about, you know, balancing that with um, making sure that we're not hurting other communities in the process. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, the themes that you're describing are, so it's health of the individual, it's health of um, the community, it's agricultural health, social implications, right, for being able to eat in a way that's, um, you know, not only traditional, but also also respectful, acknowledging the impact of our eating decisions on others, right, what we share and what we take, perhaps. Yeah, similarly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, a lot of the times at our events, you know, participants will ask the chefs, like, you know, what local restaurants do you frequent? You know, what American mm -hmm. foods do you enjoy? And almost all of them will have tried pizza. <laughs> um, also being in New Haven, that's, you know, a, a local uh, specialty. But um, but more often than not, the, they will also say that they rarely eat out. Um, they prefer to make their own food at home. Um, and even if they are gonna try, mm -hmm. you know, American food that mm -hmm. they they try to make it at home. Uh, one, it's a cost um, issue, but also I think they recognize that, um, and, and, you know, Mark Bittman says the same thing that, mm -hmm. you know, if you're gonna have fried chicken, for example, make it at home. And, you know, there's something about um, going through the process um, that, one, you know, it's labor intensive and you realize like what, what goes into it. Yeah. Um, but one, um, it, it will, you'll realize that you're not gonna eat it as often. Um, but also I think the act of cooking, um, you know, has its own benefits, right? Like that are beyond, um, the physical so you know you're when you're cooking for your family or for cooking for friends you know there's love that goes into it there's thought and intention um and um so we we try to honor that you know through sanctuary kitchen like mm -hmm. uh, to encourage um these families to like continue making their traditional foods um to keep, mm -hmm. you know, uh, their children connected to that. It's, it's a way to stay connected to their histories and their, and their cultures. Um, but it's also a way to preserve, um, you know, eating, eating better than um, they would if they were always eating out. So 
What suggestions would you have from your own journey process for nutrition professionals who who wish they were able to experience more ethnically, culturally diverse culinary traditions? How can people really begin to immerse themselves? Yeah, um, I mean, the best way is really to meet new people <laughs> from, different, uh, from different backgrounds and eat their food. Um, you know, if you're in a big city, you're, you're going to have a lot of opportunity to do that, um, you know, from high-end restaurants um, to smaller ones. But it's, it's those smaller, local, family-owned restaurants that are really going to give you that experience of um, not just trying, you know, different food and new flavors, but like get to know the family who runs the restaurant and learn their story and um, why, you know, they set up shop and why they're making this food for you to, to try. Um, and so that's, you know, one way. Um, we have now, thankfully, um, the ban on refugee resettlement has been lifted. And um, so we're going to be seeing more um, immigrants and refugees coming in. And um, there are organizations like Sanctuary Kitchen all around the country. Uh, find out where what's happening in your community, what organizations are there. Um, and um, if there's social enterprises who that are um, selling food of, of uh, refugee and immigrant individuals, um, support them, attend their events, um, buy their food, volunteer. Um, you, most of these places want volunteers to come in and at Sanctuary Kitchen, we love volunteers. You can come to our kitchen and cook with us. You can help sell our food, you can do dishes, you know, whatever you feel like you can contribute. Um, all of these organizations would gladly um, have you. Um, you can um, travel. Travel is another great way to learn about other cultures and other communities um, and, um, you know, go beyond like the resort. <laughs> if you're, if we're going to, you know, uh, spend time with local communities, go to the smaller businesses, uh, find out from locals where to, where to eat um, and or where, what they recommend. Um, you know, that's like the best way just to like immerse yourself in, in, the, in that experience. Um, and then lastly, you know, there are organizations like Old Ways, um, there's Culinary Nutrition Collaborative um, that has prepared materials um, on traditional diets and, you know, the cuisines of other cultures. Um, they do cooking classes. Um, Old Ways also does culinary trips, I believe. Um, um, I attended a, um, a series by the Culinary Nutrition Collab um, for dietitians on, you know, cooking, cuisine, uh, cooking um, and menus um, for, from, you know, a variety of different um, cuisines and they were all led by dietitians from, from those communities. Um, and it was, I, I mean, I learned a lot. I mean, I thought I knew a lot, but, you know, um, they, you know, talked about dietary practices and traditions of each um, culture that they belong to. And then, um, you know, they taught recipes on, on some of those cuisines as well. So there's a lot out there if you seek it out. Um, 
and it's really important that um, as health professionals that we are familiar, not just for ourselves and in, in, in being um, aware and knowledgeable, um, but also being able to connect with, with the communities that we're serving, whether it's your patients um, or your clients or um, you know, your business. Um, the way of thinking that um, you know, the European diet or, you know, that like traditional French cuisine is the only way or the best way to mm -hmm. eat or the American way, you know, is, is we're beyond that. And you're not going to have success mm -hmm. um, with your clients if you're not uh, familiar mm -hmm. with, with all of this. Like you spoke to, you know, even early on in your own journey, you could see there was a connection between health and vitality and traditional ways of eating, right? So people know that, people know that, that, that we're serving. So beautiful. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing your story with us. Absolutely. Um, before we close with, um, with just something that kind of captures the spirit of our discussion, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, no, I would just add, um, you know, when you're working with your patients or your clients, like, you know, listen to them, mm -hmm. you know, ask them like, you know, about, about their, about their stories. They don't have to be from another country. I mean, even, you know, people who are in, in America for generations, mm -hmm. like everybody has their, their culinary story, uh, whether it's, you know, something that they learned you know, had with their grandmother or their aunt or, um, you know, an, an experience with their family um, or something that they started on their own. Um, you know, when you get to learn about each individual story, then um, one, you're able to connect on a, on a more um, personal level. Um, but, um, you know, by honoring their stories and their histories, you know, you're going to have a better chance of, of success in, in reaching the health outcomes that you're, you're hoping um, that you're going to come to together. Um, but, you know, it's, um, and, and then as a, you know, in general, like kind of overall, like, you know, everybody has that, fear of the unknown or, if, uh, you know, might, you might feel nervous about something that's different or someone who's different um, from you, or you feel like you won't be able to connect, um, you know, find a recipe, cook together, find a kitchen, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. share a meal, and you'd be amazed um, how mm -hmm. things will just naturally flow and um, how, how nice of an experience that can be for both of you. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, the benefits are, are mutual, right? And it's, um, it goes both ways. Um, I'm a big fan of um, the late Anthony Bourdain. Um, he did a lot of work around sharing food stories um, from all communities around the world. Um, and he really brought, you know, those, those human stories to you know to us here in america and um and you know by sharing the food and the the cultural traditions 
of various communities, you know, he was able to share their struggles and their challenges and their hardships and also their joys and their, um, you know, amazing traditions. Um, so he said, um, he, he wrote, or he said, I'm not sure if he wrote it or said it, but um, he said, the history of the world is on your plate. All food is the expression of a long struggle and a long story. We appreciate you. We appreciate your history. We appreciate the stories that you shared with us today. Thank you so much. For more information about evidence-based resources in integrative, holistic, and functional medicine, visit the Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine website at integrativerd.org. If you have enjoyed this episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast app to continue learning about diversity in nutrition practice and perspective.